Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Good morning, church. It is good to see you. Uh, we know you could be a lot of different places on a Sunday morning, but we're super grateful that you chose to spend it with us. And I hope that you leave here today just glad that you came. Uh, that is our hope and our desire. Um, when I was 21 years old, I had a dream job. Um, I found myself the head wrangler at a horse ranch in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. And the scene, the, my workplace every day was just like a scene out of a movie. I mean, the setting was amazing. But I had about 60-ish horses under my care and a handful of Wranglers that worked for me. But there was this one horse specifically that I remember to this day. It was this young Appaloosa named Mashuga. And the word Mashuga, it actually means crazy. And I can tell you, I have never met a person or a living creature that lived up to its name like this horse did. This horse was crazy. You could see it in his eyes. There was just something off. He was just wild. He was one of those horses where if you were just standing there, just anywhere in his vicinity, he would reach out and be like, snap at you. I mean, I would be sitting there doing something and the worst was when he would reach out and he would bite me right in the tricep. Oh, it was so bad. But we had this program where college students would come and spend a couple of, uh, of weeks and months with us in the summer working at this ranch. And I can tell you the, the first two weeks of this program, three of the four college students, I took to the emergency room to get stitches because Meshuga, as, and of course, if you've been around horses, you know you never walk behind them or bes you always like walk right up next to them, right? You rub your shoulder so they know you're there. Well, he would kick them right in the shin. So like, I would go to the emergency room, I'm back with another one, stitches in the shin. But there was this fourth occasion, the fourth Wrangler. So all three had these stitches, this love mark from Meshuga. But this fourth guy, he was a college football player. I'd never forget him. He was a mountain of a guy. And he wasn't paying attention. And he was standing several feet away from Meshuga. And Meshuga just perfectly full extension kicks him square in the chest. And you could hear the sound from the other side of the corral, and I watch him as he flies backwards and lands on the ground. My first thought is, he's dead. Mashuga just killed this guy. So, man, I drop what I'm doing, we all run over there. He's not dead. He was struggling to breathe because he had the air knocked out of him. And at the moment, I'm like, I don't know who to be more impressed by. Like Mashuga for this beautiful, perfect kick, or this kid for like, it didn't phase him. I was just, anyways. But I remember that I was just like, that's it, I've had it. Like it ends today. And so I take Meshuggah and I walk him down to, we had a round pen at the end of this uh, pasture. And I was like, it was like the showdown. And it was like, you could hear the little, <whistles> little good, the bad and ugly music playing. It was like me or you, dude. I'm either breaking you, or you're gonna break me, but we're not leaving here till this is settled. And I whipped out all my tricks, everything from horse whisper to Indian tricks to hobbling, whatever. I was gonna do whatever it took. Long story short, several hours later, 
after being bucked off, uh, thrown off, run into the fence. I was dirty, I was tired, and I was done. I was just like, I give up. That horse cannot be broken. He is just too wild. You know, as I was thinking about this message today, and really this whole series that we've been in, uh, I started to think, you know, our minds are a lot like that horse, Meshuga. And our thoughts so often just run wild. And at times our, our thought life is just un, kind of untamable, uncontrollable, stubborn, rebellious, right? I mean, I can be going through life just doing great and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, where did that thought come from? Man, our minds are wild. This week, what got me thinking about this horse Meshuggah was this week I read a book that actually compared our minds to a wild Mustang, which I found ironic that we live in one of the few places where there actually are wild horses, right? And I've come to learn living in Reno that a lot of people romanticize the idea of wild horses, right? They think wild horse and they immediately think to like the Disney movie Spirit, this beautiful horse galloping through this green grassy field, this mane blowing in the wind with the symphony music. But we love the idea of being wild and being free and go where you want, do what you want. And in the case of uh, the horses here in Reno, you can eat what you want, even if it's the neighbor's landscaping, or you can poop where you want, even if it's in my driveway. But we romanticize this idea of kind of these wild horses, but reality is very, very different. I remember several years ago hearing Pastor Tom, I'm gonna kind of steal some of your your material, I remember him talking about the difference between wild horses and kept horses. And the reality of wild horses, we love the idea, we romanticize the idea, but the, but the truth is, it's not so great, especially when there's like a drought or a really hard winter. And you see these horses, and man, they just look terrible. Their skin and bones, man, their, their coats are all mangy. Man, their hooves are in bad shape. But kept horses look very different. You see, kept horses, they may not be able to roam and do whatever they wanna do, but they have an owner who cares for them. They have somebody who will water them. They have someone who will feed them, brush them out, clean and trim their hooves. You see, they may not be wild and free, but they're loved. And in the same way for a lot of us before Jesus, we were wild and our thoughts and our minds were able to just roam wherever they want, do whatever they wanted. But now we belong to someone. Now we have a loving master who wants what's best for us. And just like you have to corral a wild horse in order to care for it, we have to corral our minds so that Jesus can do the work that he wants to do in our lives. We've read this verse in the series already, but that's what this verse is talking about. In 2 Corinthians 10, five, it says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And listen, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. 
We take our thoughts captive and make it obedient. See, just like you have to break a wild horse, God has to break our minds so that we can fully realize who we were created to be. But listen, our minds will fight this. Our thoughts still just wanna run wild and free. And so what happens is is our minds becomes a battlefield. It's a battle between light and darkness, a battle between truth and lies, a battle between our old nature and our new identity. And it's a battle between God's will and the enemy's schemes. That's why Romans 12, two says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, right? There's almost like this call to fight. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be changed by what? Going to church every Sunday, changing our habits? No, by the renewing of our mind, making new our mind. We've been in this series called Mind Games, and I would highly encourage you, if you've missed the first two weeks, go back and listen to it, because it is really, really good stuff. But as we continue this series, I wanna talk about what I believe is one of the enemy's most effective tools for attacking our thought life. And today, what I wanna talk about is the comparison game. Now, when I talk about comparison, I'm including in that jealousy, envy, coveting. It's that thing inside of us that makes us look at someone else and goes, this ain't fair, I want what he has. And if you think about it, This has been, man, just running rampant since the beginning of time. We all struggle with this, by the way. This this message today, no one's excluded from it. But this comparison game has been doing damage since the beginning of time. If you go back and just think about the fall of Adam and Eve, man, the serpent comes to Eve and tempts her by what? Getting her to play this comparison game. You guys are pretty awesome, but man, God's a little smarter. But if you eat this, you'll be just as smart as he... And then you look in a couple of chapters later, the story of Cain and Abel. They both bring their offerings to God and Cain's like, well, man, God likes Abel's offering better than he likes my offering. He must love Abel more than he loves me. So he goes and he kills his own brother. Listen, within the first couple of chapters of the Bible, comparison has wreaked havoc and destroyed lives. And it can do the same to us if we're not careful. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 21. There's a great story that kind of talks about this very thing in John chapter 21. I'm gonna give you a little bit of context. This is after Jesus' death and resurrection. So he had already gone to the cross, rose from the grave, and there was a period of time that we see where he would reappear to his disciples and kind of just spend some time with them, and that's one of these occasions. So in John 21, look at verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Which, pause right there, that was intentional by the way. 
He asked him three times, Peter, do you really love me? Because it wasn't that long ago that Peter denied Jesus three times. So Jesus asked the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Look at verse 18. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So basically Jesus is saying, hey, there's gonna come a point in your life where somebody's gonna lead you where you don't wanna go and stretch out your arms. He's basically telling Peter, hey, you're gonna be crucified as well. But look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. Which this is John writing about himself, by the way, which is so funny. Look at verse 21. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, hey, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. It's a fascinating exchange there. You see, the disciples were constantly wrestling with this comparison thing. If you look at the gospel accounts, you see at Capernaum, they were arguing about who's gonna be the greatest. At the Last Supper, they were arguing about who's gonna be regarded the greatest. If you even look at the account of Easter morning at the resurrection, it's like they had a foot race to see who would be the first to tell everybody about it. And then here, Jesus is trying to leave some final words to Peter, and he basically lets them in on kind of how he's gonna die one day, and all, Peter can do is like, uh, yeah, that's great, Jesus, but what about him? What about John? And Jesus seemed to have zero tolerance for this comparison game because he, Jesus knows the damage it can do to our lives. And I believe comparison is so effective at getting us distracted and focused on the wrong things. And this morning, I just wanna talk about just a few things, kind of uh, some of the effects, the negative effects that playing this comparison game will have on your life. And the first thing is this, it makes us ungrateful to God. Comparison makes us ungrateful to God. You see, when I'm constantly looking at the person on my left and looking at the person on my right and comparing man, my life to their life and what they have to what I have, man, I end up, being just discontent, disappointed, even angry with God. It causes me to say things like, man, you apparently like him better than you like me, God. Or, man, this ain't fair, he doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve that job, he doesn't deserve that spouse, he doesn't deserve that family. I deserve it, not him. Or what's even worse, we say, Man, I want that, I want what he has because I don't like what you gave me. Man, church, I am standing here today simply because of God's grace and his goodness. You've heard us say this a bunch from this platform, that everything we have comes from God and we don't deserve any of it. You've heard us say that over and over again. And if that's true, how offensive 
How ungrateful is it for me to sit there constantly comparing what I have to what someone else has when I don't deserve the things I do have? Man, especially when we have a God who knows what's best for us and wants what's best for us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for you, I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You see, when I'm constantly comparing myself to other people, comparing what I have to them, my life to theirs, and I have these daydream fantasies about what my life would be like if I was in their shoes, what I do is I end up exalting myself to this place where I begin to question God's sovereignty as if I somehow know better. Man, comparison, it makes us ungrateful to God. And if you're constantly comparing your life to other people's lives, you're never gonna experience contentment. You're never gonna have satisfaction in Jesus because contentment and comparison are incompatible. Second thing is comparison prevents me from accepting who I am. What we so often do is we compare our normal day-to-day -day lives with other people's special highlight moments, right? I compare my Tuesday to this person's vacation in Europe. Even though they may have spent years planning it and saving up for it, but I compare my typical day to their highlight moment. And it's an unfair comparison. The other thing we do is we compare ourselves to people who are like exceptional at one thing. You know, it's like, oh, man, I like to shoot some hoops on the weekend, but man, God, you didn't give me the ability to play like LeBron. Well, of course not, he's a freak. I like to play a little golf, but man, gosh, I can't, I can't hit the ball like Tiger Woods. Of course not. But we do this all the time. But in both of those situations, whether I'm comparing myself to someone who's just great at one thing, or I'm comparing myself to other people's highlight reels, in both of those cases, I find myself lacking. And I end up feeling inferior, less than, and discontent with who I am. And it's a no wonder why so many people struggle with the self-loathing because they're constantly in this unfair comparison that's not based in reality at all. And I see this a lot too in Christian circles. When we start comparing our gifting to other people's giftings. And we look at someone else's calling and how God's using them and we think, well man, that sure is sexier than what, what I'm called to do. And how crazy is it? We, it's like we, compare, we create this ranking system for spiritual gifts. We turn serving Jesus into a competition. 1 Corinthians 12, verse four, kind of addresses this. It says, 
There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. So it's God who gives out the gifts. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. See, when I compare my life, when I compare my gifting, when I compare my calling to other people, man, I'm refusing to accept who God made me to be. It's like we turn into this Christian version of Uncle Rico. You might see the movie Napoleon Dynamite. I know this was a great, a couple of people know what I'm talking about. There's a character named Uncle Rico in this film. He's like a mid-40s loser, lives in a van. And all he talks about is like, well, if the coach would have put me in in that high school football game, we would have won state and I would have gone pro. But again, this, it's almost like he lives, he's stuck refusing to accept who he is, where he's at. And so often we do the very same thing. And listen, comparison, what it eventually does is it, it devalues my uniqueness and it hijacks my calling. I'll say that again so you don't miss it. Comparison, it devalues, devalues my uniqueness and it hijacks my calling. See, when I refuse to accept who I am, what I end up doing is spinning my wheels, wasting time, trying to change or tweak the very thing God designed and created. What a waste of time it is. When what I should do is just embrace who he made me to be and pursue his will, his direction for my life. Third thing, comparison, it causes me to resent other people. Causes me to resent others. You see, when you play this comparison game, it always ends with one of two outcomes. Either I'm better than you, or I'm not as good as you. When I play the comparison game, it either ends up with I'm superior to you, or I'm inferior to you. And guess what, neither honor God. You see, if I feel as though I'm better than you, I'm just full of pride and arrogance, which is sin. But if I feel like I'm not as good as you, then I get filled with jealousy and envy and resentment, and that's sin too. So we play this game where both outcomes dishonor God, and it ends with us resenting other people. I think we can think social media for why this is so prevalent today. I'm either better than you or not as good as you. Now, I don't want to bag on social media because there are some good things about it, like um, um, <laughs> give me a minute. Uh, I'll get back to that in a second. No, but seriously, though, Facebook. In 2004, it was created by Mark Zuckerberg when he was a student at Harvard to compare people based on appearance. It was basically a who's hotter. Now, Facebook would say, like, hey, the purpose of it's really changed today. Has it really changed? See, in the comparison game, we view everyone as competition. 
and we resent those that we think they're superior to us because they have something that we want. And in the secret places of our hearts, when we're living in this comparison game and viewing others as competition, in our hearts what we end up doing is we just, honestly, we celebrate other people's losses or we grieve other people's success. And church, that is no way to live your life. That's no way to develop healthy relationships. And what happens is, is when we play this comparison game and when we view everyone as competition, it eventually leads you to a place of isolation and loneliness because we end up resenting other people. So as we wrap up this thing, you may say, well, Greg, how do we corral our minds how do we avoid this deadly trap of comparison? I'm gonna leave you with a couple of quick things. I'm gonna rattle these off. Uh, some practical things you can do to kind of avoid this comparison game. First thing is this, start every day by thanking God for five things. I picked five, I could have said 10, I could have said three, I just picked five. Because five's pretty easy. But start your day thanking God for five things. Here's why. When I start my day from a place of gratitude, I'll usually continue to the day just content with who I am and what God's given me. And I told you, contentment and comparison are incompatible. So start your day thanking God for five things. Second, remind yourself of who you are in Christ every day. If you did not hear Pastor Dave's message last week, go back and listen to it on your identity. But every day, start your day reminding yourself who you are in Christ. You see, God needs to be the one who determines our value. It needs to be God that says how much we're worth, not, not other people, not ourselves. We need to preach to ourselves, Psalm 139, 14, that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. We need to preach to ourselves, Ephesians 2.10, that we are God's masterpiece designed to do good works. We need to remind ourselves who we are in Christ, that we are worth everything to him. We are precious. The third thing we need to do is fill in the blanks with truth. Now, I'm gonna have to unpack this one, but hang with me. You see, church, it's easy for me to become envious of something whenever I don't have all the information. And what happens is my mind is able to then fill in the gaps with fantasy. For instance, let me give you an example. I look at that guy and I'm like, man, I want sure want his job, I wish I had his job. Truth is, I don't know anything about his job. He may have a complete jerk as a boss. He may have to work 70 hours a week. He may carry around so much stress, but all I see is he went on that cool sales trip. And so there's all these blanks that my mind gets to fill in with fantasy. You see, the more information that we have, the less attractive things become. This happens a lot in relationships. Some lady has a coworker that she's kind of having this emotional affair with, and she's like, well, man, he's so funny, 
and he laughs at all of my jokes and he really sounds like, it seems like he really is interested in what I have to say, but when I go home, my husband, he's just tired and he comes home and sits on the couch. Truth is, you don't know anything about that guy, really. Your mind's filling in the blanks with fantasy. Because here's the truth. That guy gets tired too. That guy just sits on the couch too. He just wants to watch TV too. Men, we do it too with lust. We see some beautiful women, a woman, and all of a sudden, man, our mind starts filling in all the blanks. Listen, she may be a constant nag. <laughs> she may be just a mean-spirited person, and listen, the more information we have, the less attractive things become. So we need to fill in the blanks with truth. Fourth, publicly praise the success and accomplishment of others. And this, because this goes directly against that prideful nature. And what it does is it kills that spirit of competition and it loosens the grip that comparison has. And then the last thing, run the race God has for you. Run the race God has for you. Last passage of scripture, turn to Hebrews 12, verse one. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And then listen, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That means I have a race marked out for me. That means you have a race marked out for you. The day I was born, God laid a path in front of me and here's the deal, the race I'm running, the race you're running, the race you're running, the race you're running, we're the only ones running in it. With God, there is no second place, third place, fourth place. That doesn't exist because God doesn't compare us to other people. We do that, but God doesn't. I'm the only one running my race. And when I stand at the end of my life, when I'm standing before his throne of grace, the only thing that will matter is did I run my race well? I don't care about your race, don't care about his race, her race, did I run my race well? And will he look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant? And that's really what, if you go back to that first story we read in John 21, that's really what Jesus was trying to say to Peter. Listen, he's like, well, what about John? And what did Jesus say? Listen, don't worry about John. He's got his own race to run. And then he said, Peter, you have to follow me. Run your race. So as we close, listen, when comparison starts to creep into our lives, and it does for all of us, Man, we have to corral our minds, our wild minds, and we have to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to what God's word says. And church, my, I implore you, my charge to you is, don't let this comparison game that we were never intended to play keep you from all that God has for you. Let's pray. Father, first off, I just wanna thank you for all that you've given us. God, I thank you for who you say we are. God, I thank you that you have a plan for my life, God.
But we have so much to be grateful for. And God, I pray you would forgive us, God, when we play this comparison game. Lord, when we constantly compare what we have to what other people have and what you've done in our lives to what you're doing in other people's lives, God, forgive us for that. Lord, I pray we would be a people that just run our race well. That God, we wouldn't get distracted and caught up in this silly game. That we wouldn't view others as competition. But that God, we would love people and honor you in everything we do. God, protect us from the lies of this world, protect us from the schemes of the enemy. And Lord, I do pray that we would corral our minds and take every thought captive, making it obedient to you. And Lord, we will be better off for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.